You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. Later in the program, a near total ban on abortions passed through the Indiana House Committee on Tuesday. The bill now advances to the State House of Representatives, where it awaits discussion and a final vote. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB Community Radio. More following today's feature. But first, your local headlines. During public comment at the Lake Lemon Conservancy District Board meeting, District 6 resident Steve Langford said that he doesn't think residents should have to pay the $10 entrance fee. Earlier in the summer, I took my granddaughter to the park and I had to pay a $10 fee to come in. Now, if I'd have came by boat, it would have been for free. And I paid taxes, I paid dock fees. You know, I'm thinking, is there any way we can get a car? I, I told the guy I'm a freeholder and he's like, mm, 10 bucks. And she's, tw- you know, a year old and it was just a little bit on the swing and I was gone. So I don't know if we can do something about that. Chairman Mary Jane Brown said that they can discuss it, but it was the first time they have heard that comment. District 7 resident Rebecca Baugh said she was frustrated with the board's decisions. I'm very frustrated with the resolution that's being submitted. And one of the questions that it was that I brought up to myself was, um, you know, if you have 20 years from now, use the overflow for for a fill-in for the sedimentation. Why There's would I want to be a right member there. of Lake Lemon Conservancy anymore? So do I have a choice of withdrawing as a freeholder in Lake Lemon? Board members said that it would not be possible to withdraw unless she went to court. The next public commenter, Sarah Gail Tala, disagreed with Baugh and recommended that they add a parking lot after they finish the dredging project so that people would not have to park on the causeway anymore. And going with okay. the last person said, I want to say the opposite. I grew up at a lake eight miles from Washington, D.C. We had a thousand, we had seven miles of shoreline, little Y-shaped lake. We had a thousand houses. Very few were on the water and we are all a part of that lake. I think we should be adding people to the lake that want to be on it. I, I think there's a lot of possibilities if everybody be a little bit more open-minded, and I think that some of you weren't even on the board when we've talked about this a long time ago, because there used to be, there used to be um, all these people that rented camping spots along Riddle Point on the far side. There could be docks along there, and people that live on Tunnel Road, if they want to join the lake, they could have a dock along the Riddle Point, west side of the point, and that would add to our tax base and maybe add to some people that might contribute more money. But it just seems like it's such a small group of people at the lake compared to what um, 
what our needs are. District Manager Adam Casey gave a report on how the fireworks show went. He said that the show was a success and that it raised more money than last year. It definitely seemed to be the proper way to go to charge folks coming into the park instead of just donations. Last year, we had about $8,300 total in donations between the freeholders and day of cash donations. This year, to date, we've brought in just over $14,000, um, 8350 day of between the cash and credit card donations that we have there. So we well covered that. Um, if anything, we... Next year, we're going to have to, we had so many people come, we're going to have to maybe look at reducing the amount of cars that we let into the park and park. We did have sheriffs there this year, and we actually had to turn people away um, well before the show started because cars are backed all the way up to South Shore Drive on Tunnel Road. Um, so there's going to be a little bit more um, planning that goes into that. But overall, it was great to bring that money in. Um, and nobody batted an eye at the $20 a vehicle. So I think it was a really good. Did you have a problem clearing out the beach at 3 o'clock? Yeah, it was the most <laughs> brazen, pushy crowd I think we have ever had as far as keeping people back behind the fire lines, um, just pushing out into the field. I mean, it was nonstop. And that's why... I'd, either reducing the viewing areas that we have um, or potentially closing the beach just for that day. Um, maybe something that we have to look at just so there's not cars there initially. But I think people forgot people forgot how to behave for a while. So it was, we were working um, a lot more than we anticipated. But it was overall, it was a good day, successful. The Boy Scouts came out um, the next morning and cleaned up the park. And so it's always thankful to have them. And it was good. Casey also gave an update on the dredging project. All right, so really looking at our historical and then uh, potential future dredging analysis. So the first figure that we have is showing the total yards that we've moved between LLCD paid and private. Um, you can see almost 160,000 yards that we've removed since 2006, 157,100. It's to be expected that District 6 and 7 have the most. As Malcolm said, that is the first delta. It's where the creek slows down. At. It's where sediment falls. It is acting as a sediment capture basin, um, just naturally the way it happens. Because where the creek comes in, as soon as you have that reduction in velocity, everything settles out there. Well, approximately 30% is what we found from the last sediment transport study. But as that delta gets shallower and smaller, what you have is that same amount of sediment, at least, if not increasing, as we've kind of seen through the years, going into a smaller and smaller basin. So if we do let that area, you know, if we don't keep it deep, essentially you're making the bowl smaller, so that rate of filling in increases, which is why it is critical to keep that first basin open and deep to act as a sediment capture. The next Lake Lemon Conservancy District Board meeting will be held on August 25th. A near total ban on abortion passed through an Indiana House committee on Tuesday. The bill now advances to the state's House of Representatives, where it awaits discussion and a final vote. The Indiana House Committee on Courts and Criminal Code voted 8-5 to five on the measure after nine hours of public testimony. 
Labor and delivery nurse Tanley Karina Morris testified in opposition to the bill on Tuesday at the State House. She said the decision to end a pregnancy is not one state legislators should make. I enthusiastically, unapologetically, and lovingly participate in abortion care for people who have chosen to end their pregnancies due to life-threatening complications for either the parent or the fetus. My firsthand experience as an obstetric healthcare provider leads me to one simple conclusion, that the decision to end a pregnancy belongs solely to the pregnant individual. The legislation proposed here today stands in direct conflict with my duty as a nursing professional to provide medically accurate, comprehensive, and compassionate care. I've cared for patients in all walks of life as an abortion provider, and I carry their stories with me. But the one thing that they all have in common is that they needed my help. And when they came to me, I joyfully fulfilled my duty to provide it to them. None of my patients ever expected to need my care, and most of them are genuinely surprised by how kind I am to them. Given the statements we heard in this chamber last week, it is not hard to imagine why. The language that this bill clearly demonstrates is that the focus of the legislation is not on the safety of my patients or their babies, but rather is meant to intimidate healthcare providers. The threats of punishment for not complying with strict guidelines includes jail time for providers. Your time you is up. Can you wrap it up? Yes, of course. Um, as you consider the legislation, I would just respectfully ask that you place medical or place bias aside and reflect from a place of medical accuracy and patient safety. And I would ask that you show my patients the compassion that we do every single day. Thank you. Thank you. Any questions? All right. Thank you very much. Dr. Caroline Roos, an OBGYN specializing in maternal fetal medicine, pleaded with state lawmakers to let her do her job. I'm here today to testify on behalf of myself, my patients, the Indiana section of the American College of OBGYN and Indiana University Health. I'm an expert in caring for the sickest women in the state of Indiana, and I'm qualified to testify on this subject matter. My request today is simple. I am asking you to let me do my job. In my specialty, I see patients on some of the best days of their lives. I see patients who've been hoping for pregnancy and on their initial ultrasound, I confirm that their baby has a heartbeat. I'm privileged to be a part of many deliveries, many of which happen after very complicated pregnancies, the joyous culmination of so much counseling and guidance and work. But by virtue of my high-risk practice, I also see patients on some of their most difficult days. I see the patient who develops heart failure early on in her pregnancy. Continuing the pregnancy would significantly increase her chances of irreversible heart damage or even death. I see the patient who breaks her water at 18 weeks. I am the one that tells her that amniotic fluid is vital to protect her from an infection that could limit her ability to have another child or even result in death. I see the patient who comes in bleeding heavily from her placenta at 18 weeks. We discuss that continuing the pregnancy would significantly increase her risk of bleeding out and dying in spite of our efforts to transfuse unit after unit of blood. We appreciate the exception for maternal health, but given prior testimony today to the contrary, I would really like to emphasize the importance of keeping this amendment in. My job is to predict and prevent complications and death as best I can, not to wait until catastrophe occurs and then act. In cases where pregnancy increases the risk of serious complications and death, discussing abortion is part of my medical and ethical responsibility. There is no single moment in healthcare where I can say that a risk will be permanent, or at least not until it is likely too late to reverse that risk. My colleagues and I then wonder how life-threatening does the condition have to be, and also importantly, who gets to decide? The patient and their doctor, not the way the law is written. 
Furthermore, given the professional and personal repercussions of possibly misinterpreting laws, including criminalization without a health exception, the lack of clarity in this proposed legislation makes that worse. The proposed abortion ban in Senate Bill 1 would eliminate over 98% of abortions in our state. Um, others have spoken very eloquently about the consequences of this ban. Thank you, Addison Bell, among others. We already have published data showing that pregnant people in states with more restrictive abortion laws are already suffering as a result. Increased rates of ICU admission, hemorrhage, hysterectomy, much of which could have been prevented by access to abortion. This will happen in our state. Abortion is an essential component of comprehensive evidence-based health care, and we strongly oppose any effort that interferes in the relationship between a person and their health care professional and access to that care. I and the organizations I represent strongly urge you to vote against Senate Bill 1. However, we recognize that legislation severely limiting abortion is likely in our state. Um, as you debate this bill, my colleagues and I strongly urge you to rely on your highly trained physicians and keep the amendment to include clear language as it relates to health of the pregnant person. Please just let us do our jobs. Dr. Christina Francis, an OBGYN in Fort Wayne, said she wants to see improvements made to this legislation. Thank you, Chairwoman McNamara and other esteemed committee members. My name is Dr. Christina Francis. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and have been in practice for 14 years. I currently practice as an OBGYN hospitalist in Fort Wayne, and I am CEO-elect of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, the largest non-sectarian professional medical organizations for pro-life medical professionals in the world. I am here today because I care deeply for both my patients and about protecting them from the harms of abortion. We have a chance to do that by ending elective abortions while still allowing women to receive life-saving treatments. While the amended version of SB1 comes closer to doing this, there are still improvements that need to be made, including protections of children with severe disabilities and those conceived in rape. One of the reasons I chose the specialty of obstetrics was because of the challenge of taking care of two patients at once. It is undisputed scientific fact that at the moment of fertilization, a new and distinct living human being comes into existence. And so my duty as a physician is to care for and maximize the health of both. In the decades since the Roe decision, our ability to successfully treat medically complex pregnancies has increased dramatically. Elective abortion is not needed in order to provide women and their children with excellent health care. If it was, why would 76 to 93% of OBGYNs not perform them? It is possible for our state to prevent abortions, which Excuse intentionally me just a end second. Life Folks, uh, I'm going to ask you again, please do not leave through the middle of the chamber. It disrupts uh, the person who's speaking. When you exit, please exit off to the side. Thank, Thank you. you. Sorry for the interruption. That's all right. It is possible for our state to prevent abortions, which intentionally end the life of my fetal patients while still allowing for physicians to exercise their expert medical judgment in order to intervene in situations where the mother's life is in danger. The current wording of impairment of life or physical health is not only too broad, but it also fails to give clear guidance for physicians to determine whether or not a pre-viability delivery would be allowed. This has the danger of either allowing abortions for any reason or making physicians hesitate to intervene in a potentially life-threatening situation. Existing language in Indiana statute defining a serious health risk is much more clear, and it says to avert the pregnant woman's death or a substantial and irreversible impairment of a major bodily function of the pregnant woman. Abortions are never needed after viability to save a woman's life. You simply deliver her and care for both her and the baby. This bill currently allows for abortions through birth for human beings with potentially life-limiting diagnoses, the preferred term as there is no medical consensus as to what constitutes a lethal fetal anomaly. Many children are able to defy the odds, especially with appropriate medical care. 
For those that aren't, their mother's mental health and physical outcomes are improved with perinatal palliative care and term delivery as opposed to a termination. Either way, these are vulnerable human beings who deserve our protection. Women and girls deserve fully informed consent, even if seeking an abortion in a very difficult situation. They deserve to know that medication abortions have a four times higher complication rate than surgical abortion and have never been tested for safety in girls under the age of 16. They also deserve to know that abortion carries real risk of preterm birth and future pregnancies and a significantly increased risk of adverse mental health outcomes, including a seven times increased risk of suicide. Restricting abortion even completely does not worsen maternal mortality rates based on studies from multiple countries and can even improve them. Given our unacceptable preterm birth rates, mental health crisis, and maternal mortality rates in this state, we owe women and their children better than abortion. They deserve evidence-based health care that is life-affirming, not life-ending. In order for me to support this bill, I encourage you to add stronger protections and enforcement and prevent the targeting of my fetal patients based on a possible disability or the circumstances of their conception. Your time I, is up. Thank you. I have brought with me a, a written testimony that contains nearly 40 peer-reviewed studies that backs up what I've said, so I'll, I'll leave that for you all as well. Dr. Mary Ott, a pediatrician in adolescent medicine, said this bill takes away autonomy when it comes to reproductive health. I'm testifying on behalf of the Indiana chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The AAP represents 67,000 pediatricians nationally and 74% of pediatricians in Indiana. Comprehensive evidence-based reproductive health care is a cornerstone of child health. Access to safe and legal abortion is an essential component of this reproductive health care. This is an issue of both health and justice. Bans on abortion pose a threat to the health and well-being of Indiana children, impacting the physical, mental health, educational, and economic outcomes for our youth, including adolescent maternal mortality. The AAP additionally supports adolescents' autonomy over their reproductive health choices and future. Legislation should promote health care access rather than undermine it. I appreciate the chair's amendment um, the Indiana AAP remains concerned about unrealistic time limits for child victims of rape and incest, effectively eliminating abortion access in many cases, and recommends against reintroducing notarized affidavits, which put the burden on the already traumatized child victim and family. In pediatrics, medical issues are best determined by our patients, their families, and in consultations with their physicians. Adolescents should be able to work with their physicians who have training and expertise to make reproductive health decisions informed by their individual medical needs, evidence, and their personal values. The proposed legislation politicizes what should be a private decision. Access to abortion is a health equity issue relevant to pediatricians. Indiana ranks 37th nationally in adolescent pregnancy, and young people face more access barriers than adults. The legislation will deepen reproductive health disparities faced by our black and brown youth who make up 30% of Hoosier children, as well as young people in the child welfare and juvenile justice systems, LGBTQ youth, and young people in rural and medically underserved areas. The AAP is committed to prevention. Research shows that the most effective way to prevent adolescent abortion is not to ban the procedure, but to provide comprehensive sex education and expand access to birth control. Sex education teaches 
about the full range of birth control options and provides Hoosier youth with the tools to make healthy decisions. Equally important is same-day confidential access to contraception, including IUDs and implants. When Colorado provided same-day access, they dropped their adolescent birth rates by 29% and adolescent abortion rates by 34%. If Indiana were truly committed to decreasing adolescent abortion, the legislation wouldn't ban it, but instead would support minor consent comprehensive sex education, and funding for same-day, low-cost, confidential access to effective birth control. Your time is up. Thank you. In sum, the Indiana AAP opposes SB1 because it goes against core principles of quality adolescent reproductive health care. Thank you. The Indiana House will vote on the bill as soon as Friday. Any changes made by the House will need approval from the state Senate. Up next, Weirdos from Weirdos on Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. This time we're going to have some fun looking at some of the wilder and weirder scams that have been perpetrated by some imaginative and some very stupid crooks. Now, you've probably heard about con artists who sold things they didn't own, like the Brooklyn Bridge, the Eiffel Tower, Big Ben in London, or the information booth in Grand Central Station. But there are some fraudsters who are successful on a smaller scale, and sometimes they even deliver what they promise. For instance, there's a fellow who ordered a beautiful woven rug on eBay and paid for it. It arrived just as promised and looked exactly like the picture but it was two inches by four inches. Another eBay customer ordered a set of embroidered silk pillows and got them promptly, but they were about one inch square. On eBay, the devil really is in the details. Another enterprising seller on eBay offered a 2003 Nissan Altima driver's side door handle in beige, and that's exactly what it was, but he wanted a hefty price because it was signed by George Washington. If anyone fell for that one, they probably deserved to. Then there's the wrong number scam, which is happening by text message these days. Most folks are smart enough not to answer a phone call if they don't recognize the number on their caller ID. So the fraudsters have started sending texts. You'll get one that says something like, Mike, do you have time to go for a walk on the beach this evening? Or maybe, Dave, come over to Sam's house and pick up Alice. It looks like someone has sent the text to a wrong number. It's all too tempting to reply and tell the sender about the mistake. But maybe that's not such a good idea. First, because it confirms that your phone is live and it's a working number. 
and you get more scam texts and robocalls. But beyond that, the sender may come back and engage you in conversation, of course in a friendly way. Once a con artist has you talking and replying, they'll casually mention that they've made a lot of money doing something or other and offer you information about how they did it. And, as you might expect, this is the opening wedge of a real scam. Today, that may well involve investing in some sort of cryptocurrency, but there are endless variations. Finally, there are texts and emails that look legitimate, look important, but include a link to click. I got one not long ago from Chase Bank, saying they had spotted unusual activity in my account and asking me to click a link marked review my account. But there were two problems. One, I don't have an account at Chase Bank. And two, pointing at the link revealed that it connected to a website called LuckyLadiesCharms.de. So, no, I didn't click on it, but I did save it to tell you about it. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, this is your engineer and executive producer, Cade Young. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters, WFHB, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Cool Solutions. Climate action from the bottom up. Coming up next on WFHB Community Radio.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB local news volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB local news archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB local news. We are local, longer, 